So this morning the Sangha, monastic Sangha retreat, ending this uh, Martha this week, and so this um, reflective ability of the human human being means that in spite of all the changing conditions, uh, the strong feelings and the impressions and the impingements and the irritations and the conditioned realm that we're very much experiencing at this moment, the physical body, the senses, heat and cold and pleasure, pain and all the rest. And so that it's, uh, I found in Thailand I always appreciated the fact that that the Thai, at least as I uh, experienced it with Ajahn Chah and Uborn, was that they have a sense for just the limitation they're under as human beings. You know, they're kind of grounded in the reality of the boundaries and conditions the unsatisfactoriness of the conditioned realm uh, is part of their, but of course it's Buddhist, but it's also a cultural, uh, part of the cultural attitude. So, uh, you know, in the West we tend to see things from ideal levels of, you know, of, of, you know always the idea of trying to make things better and improve and, and reach the best and compare the realities uh, that we experience with uh, ideas of what things should be. But in, especially like in Northeast Thailand, people very much attuned to life is like this, human body is like this, sensitivity is like this, is not saying, it's not judging as, uh, in terms of complaining or or, uh, you know, trying to think it should be other, but recognizing. So this is called reflecting, ability that we have to contemplate experience in the present moment. To recognize it's like this. So this uh, mindfulness, this word, sati sampachanya, is is the way that we can do this. We can't do it through thought, through analysis, through reason, through logic. Uh, we can't attain a perfect, happy feeling or, you know, a blissful state of refined perfection and sustain it because this realm is the way it is. It's a earthbound realm, sensitive realm, planet Earth, the sun and moon, the stars, the planets, and who knows, all the, the mysteries in the vast universe or universes that exist or might exist or we don't know, but we can observe <clears throat> within this limited form of a human birth, human form. So then this this statement, all conditions are impermanent, Sapeya is is the kind of, makes everything simple for us. It's, uh, it's not complicated. It takes the whole, all conditioned phenomena you know, no matter how good, bad, refined, or coarse it might be. And we start, and we're able to contemplate conditioned phenomena not from, uh, you know, macrocosmic position at the top of the universe, like God, but from the limitations, the, the karma, the tendencies, the physical state we're in at this time. And so that mindfulness is, it transcends the conditioned realm. I mean, one condition can't contemplate another condition. 
you can compare conditions like this is bigger and that's smaller or this is better or worse. But this is why, why this mindfulness, this, this attitude of attentiveness, paying attention, awareness, is then is the way that we can actually observe, notice, pay attention to the changing conditions, physical, the physical body that, that one has, or the emotional conditions one is experiencing, memories, thoughts, ideas. <clears throat> so then as, as, you know, this, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Now when I retire, leave, I hope that this teaching, particular teaching, sinks into your consciousness, haunts your life until you break through. <laughs> so through repetition. <laughs> and, but it's also not just a you know, to kind of grasp the teaching as an intellectual, interesting intellectual approach, but, you know, really uh, use it to examine, you know, what is it that is aware of your body at this moment? Is your body aware of itself? You know, does it, can, it, can your right hand notice your left hand? Or your nose, uh, you know, observe your big toe. You know, it's not the body, it, that which is aware of the body. So that's where the, the you know, the four postures is a kind of grounding uh, way of, of bringing attention to the most obvious fact of this moment, the body's like this, sitting or standing, walking or lying down. That ability to observe the body, the experience, to witness the experience of your own body sitting the way it is at this moment is like this. So this is reflection, mindfulness, Awareness of the object, of you know, the objects are sape sankaranicha, all conditions. That which is aware of conditions is unconditioned. So that's why you know, the, in terms of the personality, it's not a person anymore observing; it's awareness. It's not personal because as soon as you, you know, think of yourself as being mindful or not mindful, then that's conditioned again. You're caught in the, in the logic or the identities, the attachments to the sense of a separate self, the physical body, the, the emotions, the memories that you're experiencing. So this is, you know, this is uh, the only possibility that we have to transcend or be free from delusion, from no longer just helpless uh, victims of, our, of the conditioning that we have. No matter what state you're in, you know, physically, what age you are, male or female, uh, you know, happy or miserable, whatever is... It's not, we're not trying to prop up the conditioned realm and, and perfect it, but observe it, be the witness of conditioned phenomena, not the owner, not the, not becoming. So this is like the deathless reality of getting beyond the death-bound conditions. So reflecting in this way, you you're beginning to, you're no longer meditating here during this Sangha retreat, the idea of, you know, I don't want to encourage you to see it as some kind of personal attainment or, 
or uh, you know trying to improve your practice or or do something to get something or get rid of something but to keep reminding yourself reflecting this awareness itself awareness of the body start with that it's the Awareness of the experience of sitting at this moment is like this. So when I do this, I feel, immediately I feel that when I contemplate, observe my body sitting here, it's, I feel the pressure of sitting. My body sitting, the pressure of this body sitting on this spot is like this or hands together, awareness of my right hand, left hand touching, or my feet, knees. Face, you know, any tension, any face, uh, you know, one's face is very sensitive, that's where the so mo most of the senses are the eyes, ears, nose, and tongue. Now, the all conditioned phenomena is dukkha <coughs> or unsatisfactory. So this this is you know this word dukkha is the first noble truth, but also recognize that, that our society tends to promote sukha as the highest attainment. You know, to be happy and self-fulfilled. Uh, we live in a deluded society. So we, we, we want, maybe we're here to find happiness or peace. But this reflection on all conditions are unsatisfactory. The very nature is that there, there's no satisfaction in, in them. They can't, there's no permanency. Nothing that sustains itself. It's, it's so subject to other conditions. You know, from the stars, the arrangement of the stars, the planets, the sun, the moon, the, Weather, season, time of day, your own physical state, your karmic uh, inheritance, and all the rest, ancestry, genes, DNA, whatever, it's in this process of, of change, beginning, ending, birth, and death. The senses, the seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. So reflecting on this, that which is aware of change, aware of suffering, is non-suffering, is non-dukkha, non, it's a, it's nietzsche, permanent, or deathless, or unborn, uncreated. So the more you you reflect on this and contemplate it, the stronger, you know, at first it's more intellectual and the you know, ideas and the words get in the way, in fact. And then our own, you know, tendency to want to figure it out, think about it, analyze it, find what other people think, or, or you know, try to study the scriptures or whatever to, to uh, you know, to get it right on the... Uh, intellectual level. But during this retreat, just trust in the, in your ability to pay attention. Condition phenomena, it's not, it's not a put down of condition phenomena by saying it's dukkha, it's not, not, it's not a judgment, it's just a characteristic. And so this dukkha that isn't, uh, you know, it's not like some value judgment, it's just the way things are, and there's no you know, it has this nature to be unsatisfying. This realm, this planet, this solar system is unsatisfying because it's changing and it's 
and it's affected by so many other conditions that we as human individuals can't possibly understand or know about. So it can be terrifying in a way, frightening because who knows what's out there or what will happen next in terms of time or condition phenomena because it changes not the way we want it to but the way it has to change that which is born arises and then ceases now the unborn uncreated unformed unconditioned is inconceivable take this word conceivable what can be that which can be conceived to conceive something and inconceivable means that you know on a conceptual level is is thinking we can conceive all kinds of possibilities and permutations variations on themes and sensual experience and what's normal what's crazy what's right and wrong any form any you know has is a conceptual thing it's a condition and the best you can do with the unconditioned is negate you know use the prefix negative prefix unconditioned so this is you know this is a skillful use of language in other words it's uh, using language but not as something to grasp or think about or uh, you know try to operate just from believing in the concepts but the, uh, the emphasis the Buddha made on Bhattipata practice investigate look into that which is aware of a thought is not a thought that which is aware of the body is not the body the body can't be aware of the unborn uncreated but that which is aware of the body what's that and it's it's and then the personality the sense of well I'm being mindful of my body that's conventional way of thinking you know but also we have to let go of our own thinking process not to to operate you know practice meditation with basic delusions you know the idea of me getting something out of meditating or me you know me attaining something and I hear you know that's how we talk on the conventional level I, my practice is good my practice is any good I can't meditate very well. I'm trying to get the jhanas. I want to get the, become a sotapanna or arhant, things like this. This is, a, this is the thinking process, you know, the attachment to the fact that you are doing something now to get something in the future. Some ideal of good practice or attainment or jhana or stages or the inevitable companion to desire wanting to attain and achieve the the fear and the sense of can't do it i'm not good enough my practice isn't any good i can't my mind wanders all the time i don't have the jhanas i can't i don't you know i still suffer from anger and lust and things like this so that the this uh, sense of a self is the first fetter, you know, the sanyojana, sakayaditi, that really, you know, has to be seen. You can't just, you know, it's sakayaditi to think that, to grasp the idea of there's no self. You know, I'm nobody, I'm not a self, it's still sakayaditi, you can't win you know, it's a catch-22. It's a, it's a impossible task 
to think about and decide that I'm nobody or I'm, I shouldn't be. I shouldn't have an ego. Or my practice isn't any good. Or my practice is, is good. It's, uh, this is language, isn't it? The pronouns me, mine, I, you, and all the rest. So the retreat, like Sangha retreat, is a, it's a convention, you know, agreed upon convention, so it's, um, you know, you have a, the form and all that. So it's not about me trying to get something out of it or, or whatever, you know, whatever way my ego might relate to this retreat. You know, the, I can be aware of it. So the emphasis is, is on awareness of how conventions affect us. You know, so this awareness, we're aware of, of how uh, the schedule of the day is like this. And then, then we might have certain, we, we like it, we don't like it, we want to change it, we, we don't want to change it. Or whatever your your you know your own personal view about it. The emphasis you know is on awareness, not on pleasing everybody or trying to get a, a conventional form that that pleases everybody and and everybody agrees to. You know the expediency is just to use it to see to observe the born, the created, the form, the condition, which is, you know, the physical body, the, the karmic tendencies, the thoughts, the feelings. The sense realm that, that, we're, that we have to endure for our lifetime. Now the inconceivable, that's where this sense of mystery or wonder or nothingness, you know, it's like, like in the, the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, leaves you with nothing. Just the, those words. Because the ego is, if I'm unborn, you know, you can't conceive it. I can't conceive myself unborn. It's impossible. Or it sounds like, you know, the, that, you know, annihilation. You know, on a logical level, it sounds like an extinction or annihilation zero, nothingness, kind of blank, oblivion. Because that's a limitation of thinking, of conceptuality. Conceiving then is, is a condition, you know, it's a, it arises and ceases. Inconceivability is what we are using through mindfulness. Not trying to conceive, but observing conceiving. Being the observer of conditioned phenomena. In the terms of the three characteristics, anicca, dukkha, anatta. These are, these are not projected onto conditioned phenomena. They're suggestions, ways of looking, observing. That, that has the three characteristics are common to all conditioned phenomena. And then conditioned phenomena can, can go from heaven to hell, best to the worst, refined course, macrocosmic, microcosmic, size, shape, form, true, false, insane, crazy, sane, normal, whatever. You know, these are these are adjectives describing qualities of conditioned phenomena. 
But the unconditioned has no quality, no size. But it's here and now, and it's what, it's the escape hatch from the condition. Otherwise we're, we're just helpless victims of our conditioning. Whatever, you know, your karma is, whatever your, you know, you got this kind of physical, emotional, ancestral, karmic conditions. And there's no way, when you just, you know, if they aren't very good, then you're just helpless victim of bad conditions. But what the Buddha in the teaching pointing to is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. So this is, this is the refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. So then our own personal karma, you know, how healthy or unhealthy or, you know, emotional karmic tendencies or whatever are not, we're no longer victims of that, we're using it. We're observing it rather than, you know, trying to rearrange it or get rid of it or change it, but to be the knower, the puto knower of the Dhamma, the way it is. Now this, uh, in monastic form, then, this, the aim of the, the Samana life is convention, but its, its purpose is, is restraint, you know, and it, uh, so that we can reflect. You know, we don't have all the, the options uh, that, uh, say, we would have if we were not monastics. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a limitation, like Vina is about limitation on behavior and speech. And so it, but it's not, you know, it's not for personal identity, but it's a expedient means for uh, having, you know, using the conventional form for witnessing, observing the way things are, one's karmic habits, tendencies, assumptions, fears, desires. So it, it's not to, not for identity or, <clears throat> you know, to, it's not, we're not, because it is a convention then it's easy to attach to it and make it into some kind of personal identity. And that's the problem with any convention, is that conventions are basically, you know, unsatisfactory. That's the very nature. So they have, you know, they, in themselves, they're like any other convention, anicca, dukkha, nata. But in learning to use the convention, say a vinaya, then it's, it's to, you know, to use it for, uh, you know, reflection. Because boundaries on behavior, not getting what we want, or not being able to do what we feel like, or whatever, then this always brings us to some kind of frustration, or uh, difficult reactions that bring up our kind of rebelliousness, stubbornness, egos, conceit, our own sense of right and wrong and how things should be. And so we, you know, we, with the, this convention then it's not to, to justify it or to, to, you know, it's a, it's a traditional form designed for reflection, not for attachment.
Now we have to live in this realm, you know, for the lifetime of of forms and changing conditions. You know, when you really contemplate what it is to be a human being on planet Earth, you know, we're constantly in a state of of irritation, of you know, of the changing conditions of the time of day, night, the seasons, heat and cold, the pressures of uh, and the problems of aging, sickness, pain. And they, all the, uh, you know, that which impinges on our senses, what we see and hear, smell, taste, touch. We're, we're kind of cursed with this retentive memory. You know, it can be a blessing or a curse. The Buddha created the thinking process into a blessing as an expedient means. But if we, if we use it for the ego, the thinking process, you know, then it becomes a curse because we we have to remember things that happened years ago. You know, we're not like a, a you know, we, if you don't have a retentive memory, then the the tragedy of last year is forgotten this year. <clears throat> you don't remember it, but we remember. Remember the injustices and things of the past. You know, 76 now, so I can remember a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things. Way back in early childhood, you know, that I can, you know, if I attach to that, those memories, then I can get very upset by something that happened to me when I was five years old. <clears throat> So this is, you know, like, you know, contemplate this reflective, this uh, memory, retentive memory, and how many people are cursed by it, you know, the grudges we carry. Uh, You hear about it in the news all the time, the way one group, you know, people will hate, will remember the, the terrible things another group did to them 300 years ago all these ethnic quarrels, tribal resentments. And that are part, this is part of the retentive memory. Being strongly identified with nationality or ethnic background or whatever is, you know, this is, then we carry the karma of what we're attached to. So we, we suffer accordingly. <clears throat> like if you're identified with being Jewish, then when there's anything, when, you know, when, when anything negative or criticisms, criticisms are made about Jews, then, w- then you feel it. It's personal, isn't it? Where if, uh, if you're not identified with that, then it's not the same. Uh, you know, this is this is just you know investigating the way things are, how our identities, our attachments, can can create uh, you know this sense of paranoia, fear, resentment that we can carry through our whole life if we have no, if we're not invited or have no opportunity to reflect on dhamma. So the, you know, the problems of our lives are, you know, the endless procession of resentments and fears and wars, prejudices, cultural biases, racial biases and so forth. These are instilled in the mind, you know, through culture, through identity, through this retentive memory we remember and then when what we remember, you know, we, we ha- tend to feel the result of that. Whatever we attach to, you know, a resentment about injustice of the past, then we feel, we feel this anger in the present, even when the conditions for that injustice 
are no longer present here and now, but we can remember. <clears throat> so, just exploring, investigating this, the state of being human is like this. It's a curse and it's also a blessing. It's a curse when we have no opportunity to see through it or explore it or investigate it. You know, we're cursed by life, by our karma. We all have to die. And life isn't going to be fair and just and perfect for anyone. Because conditioned phenomena isn't going to be permanently secure, happy and just and fair. So in this uh, retreat, he began to, by this way of, at least I found, this way of reflecting on the way it is, gives me this, I'm no longer trying to, to make everything right and, and uh, make everything, make everybody happy, but I can at least recognize. And once I recognize conditioned phenomena for what it is, then I can bear with it, changing conditions. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not uh, something that is, you know, uh, the only problem with it is a blind attaching to it, this ignorance of vicha bhajaya sankara. So in this uh, reflection, ignorance, avicca, not knowing Dhamma, not knowing the unborn, not recognizing it, not realizing deathless reality, then, then there's avicca, ignorance, and that affects everything that happens to us. If ignorance, if we start practicing here on this retreat with avicca, then at the end of the retreat you'll end up with dukkha. I guarantee it. <laughs> so even with all good intentions, with in a in a beautiful setting, in a in a virtuous community, with good supporters, virtuous people, generosity and all of us, we can still suffer enormously. As you all know, we can create endless problems and, and suffer around the, anything on the conditioned plane because its very nature is such that avicca, if that's, if that's our, how we operate in this life, then the result's always going to be grief and sorrow, anguish, despair, disappointment, dukkha. So this, you know, st instead of starting with avicca, observe it. Now this is what mindfulness allows us to do. This is the, this is the escape hatch. So mindfulness, the path to the deathless. The door to the deathless, the gate to the deathless is open. Here and now. And then uh, the condition, you know, that we are experiencing now. The physical bodies like this, the breath, feelings, you know, whether you feel heat or cold, pleasure or pain in your physical body at this moment is like this. So the way it is, the as is, and that this, this is using language more, not, it isn't defining or describing, it's just pointing, isn't it? It's like this, right? Now, the body sitting on this tamat, it's like this. There's nothing about being good or bad, right or wrong, it's like this. Or the emotion, you know, the quality of mind that I'm experiencing is like this. So reflecting this way, bring, 
puts me and reminds me to be this awareness itself rather than somebody trying to become aware or get my practice together or or attain something or identify with any position you know the conventional forms we have identity with them you know is can be a big obstruction can be sakya dipi if we attach blindly to our position or non-position if I, I'm a nobody is still sakya dipi <laughs> or I somebody so you can't win on that level it's this hopeless task of you know going around and round in the vortex of changing conditions so in the Dhamma Vinaya you know this this uh, relationship the monastic Sangha has Vinaya so that is uh, and then the Buddha's statement to Ananda when he was, when Nananda said, who will be our teacher <clears throat> when, you're, when you're gone? And the Buddha says, I leave you the Dhamma and the Vinaya. And so the, the Vinaya is, um, is all about restraint, boundary, convention. Dhamma is all about letting go, liberation, freedom from delusion. You know, so today many the Buddhists in the West are, you know, usually love Dhamma. They talk about Dhamma and and uh, they love to hear the Dhamma and so forth. About letting go, being free from conditioned phenomena and all the rest. So it's, it, uh, you know, people love the idea. I mean, people attracted to Buddhism love that idea of non-attachment, letting go, freedom from delusion. And then, uh, but the emphasis the Buddha made to Ananda was Dhamma and Vinaya, so the conventional form. Because conventions have to be recognized. Because we're living in a conventional realm. The physical body is a convention. And that the the, the structure, high and low, good and bad, the refined course, the whole, you know, the whole conditioned realm that is so powerful, affecting our consciousness, you know, every day and night, whether we're asleep or awake. So on one level, when you're just looking at the, the power of the conditioned realm that one is experiencing at this very moment through your body and through your mind, you know, it doesn't, you know, on a, remember when it first dawned on me what I, what was happening, I thought this is impossible, there's no way. You know, the power, the strength, the, 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 of these conditions of just having a physical body and then having a retentive memory and a personality, a whole cultural conditioning that's, that makes me feel all kinds of things. You know, cultural attitudes and personal ideas, and and that that I'm that I that I was very attached to. It all seemed so hopeless, you know, when I started thinking about it. But then, this mindfulness, sati sampatanya, is the very essence. This is the this is the key to the prison cell. This is the way out. There's no other way out. And this is what, you know, uh, human birth allows us to do. This is uh, the blessing of our human birth, is the mindfulness. The curse of it is that we're, we, we have this retentive memory and we think about it and we're ignorant. We don't understand ourselves or the world we live in, so we... We're, we're endlessly uh, creating endless problems around it, exaggerating it, trying to control it, manipulate it, bend it, change it, clean it up, destroy it, or whatever. 
So it's not, you know, like with contemplate the, you know, the the relationship of the unborn to the born or the unconditioned to the conditioned. Now these words, it might sound dualistic because you've got conditioned and unconditioned. And then of course, if we, if we, you know, just go on that level of intellect, then we think the unconditioned is better than the condition. The logic is there. The unconditioned, there's no suffering, so it must be better than the condition. Or non-suffering is better than suffering. That's, that's, that's logic, that's reason, that's thought. That's a condition in itself. So with mindfulness, we're, we're not trying to attach to the unconditioned, but be it, you know, rest in it, to, to rest it, to, it means just relax in a, in attentiveness, being present here and now, aware of whatever, you know, the conditions you're experiencing at this moment, they are the way they are. And then your relationship to the condition is knowing, knowing it for what it is rather than judging it as something that's inferior to the unconditioned. So you're getting outside the whole dualistic thinking process or condition, condition process. Heaven, you've got to have hell. If it's right, you've got to have wrong. One depends on the other. But the unconditioned is the knowing of the condition. It's, it's, it's satisfactory, it's complete, it's perfect, knowing the way it is. So the conditions arise and cease according to their nature. But we're no longer caught in the momentum of the changing conditions because of ignorance. There's vicha or samaditi, right understanding, right knowing, perfect knowing. This is a perfection Self. It's complete in itself, the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Its relationship to the born, the created, the form, the condition is knowing it, not liking, disliking, attaching to it and identifying with the condition phenomena that it is very much uh, an ongoing, relentless experience in this realm of the human human form on planet Earth. So the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned is inconceivable. But it's reality, it's real, it's recognizable. This, through this mindfulness then, we begin to recognize this conscious consciousness where the conditions arise and cease. It's just this, it's like this. And so that's why, you know, in my reflection on sound of silence, I found this uh, very skillful way of reflecting because it's just this that I am aware of this vibration or whatever it is it's like this it's recognized isn't it just what it is. I'm not saying it's good, bad, right or wrong, high or low or anything. 
you know, we want to call it the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Because then it makes it sound like something. But it's, it's nothing. But it's like this. And it's where there's perfect equanimous poise, attention, that's recognized. It's like this. And then, of course, uh, you know, we, we easily forget it and get back into all the uh, problems of the world and personal feelings and, and uh, loves and hates and preferences and prejudices, fears and desires. And so, the, you know, this, this retreat, see, there's an opportunity to keep, you know, rem remembering this. Like the silence, the trying to relieve ourselves from a lot of duties and that that we usually have in, in uh, when there isn't retreat period. To to really be this, you know, this is it. This simplicity of awareness. Nothing fantastic. It's like nothing at all in terms of quality or quantity. It's not like it's absolutely fantastic or, you know, the best in the world. Those, that kind of thinking drops away, but it's just this. So simple, so perfect. And we begin to trust it. Integrated into the movement of our life you know, in through the aging process of the body, through the changing conditions of the society, the world that we live in. So this, to me, you know, after all these, this is my 44th Vasa, you know, this is, a, you know, just, as you keep, keep penetrating it, keep referring to it, it, it take, it, you know, it becomes a stronger, it's real, Powerful and not this, these physical body changing forms, moods, feelings, and all the rest. These become, you know, they, they don't seem like much anymore. They're empty phenomena rolling on, changing, you know, doing their thing, loving, hating, believing, disbelieving, and all the rest. It's just like, you know, and they say empty phenomena. It's empty. The, the, the self is nothing. It's just an illusion. You know, it does nothing to, to grasp or promote. Because you're real, you found that perfection in refuge of awareness, ultimate reality, the deathless. It's reality, it's real, it's, it's, it's powerful. And the, the, the illusion of these changing conditions, that they're powerful, they're mine and they're overwhelming me. And they're, you know, this, this whole sense of, of empowering conditioned phenomena to just pull you around and, and enslave you to the force of habits and changing conditions that you can't control you found that refuge in the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, in the Amravati, the Matadhamma. So to me, it's, you know, it's just a wonderful thing, this teaching. You know, in terms of you know, how, how the Buddha, Gautama the Buddha actually, you know, recognized this. And no, there's been no one, no philosopher or prophet or saint or anything that's made it so clear, so clear a teaching and, and such practical conventions to use, you know. So it's not just the you know, fantastic philosophy, but it actually, it gives you all the directions, the practical 
ways of of developing, cultivating it for your own profound understanding and liberation from the limitation of birth and death. So here, you know, like the monastic form, just recognize it's a it's an opportunity to to step outside the society that we live in. The society, you know, is really confused and and uh, deluded. You know, modern life. And so it, it's, uh, you know, it, I don't know, I've been a monk for so long, I don't know how I, you know, practice. You know, when lay people ask me, how do I integrate mindfulness in daily life? And have got so many duties, responsibilities. You know, I've been doing it this way for so long, I can't, you know, I can suggest ways. But recognizing the, the power of this form, this tradition, is it makes it easier for us. It's a, it's a, because it, it isn't, you know, it, it gives us this, it empowers us to devote ourselves towards this liberation. You know, so it's, uh, you know, this is the, the attitude of to go for it. You know, and, and, it, and it's a moral uh, convention. It's based on, on good manners, etiquette, and so forth. But it, you know, and it's something to appreciate because it, it's a way out of just the, the uh, incredible, powerful intimidations of modern life. And puts us in, and encourages us towards this. Like we can have a retreat like this, and and just keep encouraging people to trust themselves to awaken, rather than try to get something or get rid of something. So it is important for you to really, you know, investigate the sakya ditti. You know, not to get rid of it, but to know it the sense of yourself, your self-worth, your self-respect, lack of self-respect, your, your fears, your emotional habits and prejudices, biases. Well, I'm not asking you to, to, you know, that you've got to become anything, but to encourage you to recognize the self, the sakyaditi, which is a creation of thought, of identity with memories with the body, with the, our emotions. And then the discernment of that which is aware of the emotion, of the body, of the sense of me and mine. More and more, this, uh, you know, I reached a point many years ago that I can become this person Ajahn Sumato, or relinquish it. And so, you know, the sense of, of identity with the convention, with the personality, with the emotional habits and memories, then more and more, they, they, no, I don't want to, you know, I don't, you know, I can. I don't have to attach to those things anymore. I'm letting them go. To just be this awareness itself. Trust it. And continuously reflect. You know, to remind yourself. In the whether it's on a formal retreat like this, or or in your kuti or room or wherever. You know. It's a continuous reminder till the penny drops. You get it. It's very clear. It's, it's absolutely certain because it's, it's knowing through insight, not through conception anymore. It's no longer me trying to get my practice together, but it's awareness of if that thought, I've got to get my practice together. It's awareness of that. So that being the awareness of I've got to get my practice together 
because that is a that's a verbal thought, isn't it? I'm somebody who has to practice in order to become something. That's a creation of language. That's a that's a sense of I'm I've got to get something I don't have yet. I've got to get rid of the things I have that I shouldn't have, that are bad or wrong. So in this form, you know, the samana form, just trust it, you know, it's not to, it's to simplify life. It's to make our lives simple rather than complicated personal feelings and not that we, you know, when we get into our own personal feelings and and cultural biases and so forth, then it get, everything gets complicated, sticky web of birth and death. 